and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name's Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm here to talk about my choice for this fortnight, Basket Case, which is our third Frank Hennenlotter movie on the podcast, and in terms of the actual disc itself, might be the very best. But before we get to all of that... Dan, why don't you describe the plot of Basket Case? A young man comes to the big city that is New York with a wicker basket in hand. And no, he's not delivering Christmas hampers for Fortnum and Mason. He's on a revenge quest at the behest of his misshapen brother. <laughs> <laughs> you take that back. Um, yeah. He has a, 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 a foam rubber puppet for a brother. They were separated at birth, and now they're going to get revenge for that. I'd transposed an event from one of the sequels into this movie, in my mind. I think probably probably the end of number two. Uh-huh. Well, I, perhaps we, we maybe shouldn't get to that because we're doing the first one and, and people might not expect spoilers for the sequels, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I shouldn't say any more the the map for the for the first one it's quite a notorious yeah. movie I yeah think even if you if people haven't seen it they've probably got a good idea of what to expect yeah the belial character is pretty notorious by this point mm-hmm. yeah why, why did you choose this one sam i chose it for kind of many reasons really I, it's unusual in that it's a u.s release u.s exclusive rather that's right yeah from arrow video it's available on blu-ray via a different label in the uk but i would solemnly recommend picking up this one because it's legitimately one of the best releases Arrow's ever put out. Very impressive. It's it's as close to the Criterion collection as they get really in terms of the extras and in terms of the, the treatment of the film. It is a notorious movie but it's also a definitive movie. It's a definitive exploitation movie and it is officially a significant part of film history because this release <laughs> was made possible in part because of the Museum of Modern Art which preserved and restored the film and it's partly why it looks so fantastic on this disc and according to their website the Museum of Modern Art was established in 1935 to collect films that illustrate the historic and artistic development of motion pictures and to establish the medium as a major art form so you ask why I've chosen this as my choice for this fortnight Dan why do you think the Museum of Modern Art would choose Basket Case, a film that was made with limited savings and was originally conceived because no one had used Basket Case as a film title before? That was kind of the extent <laughs> of um, the creative inspiration initially. And, you know, a lot of the plot and dialogue was written on napkins in a hot dog restaurant. I just said hot dog really weirdly, hot dog. <laughs> but yeah, it was written in Hen and Lotta's favourite hot dog restaurant. So how do you think it holds up as an example of the indie spirit? Hen and Lotta makes a lot about, like, not ever thinking anyone would watch it and how he was appalled when it became so popular. I, I think that's just him being a good huckster. I think that's him telling a good story. It's obviously a film that they put a lot of effort into, uh, they spent a lot of time with. The fact that it took them so long that they had to do it piecemeal as the money came and went kind of speaks to the dedication of the project. It feels very much, it has that feel of a movie where everyone was sort of pulling together and it was quite a lot of fun, even though he has, Henanotta has stories about crew walking off that he loves. It doesn't fall into any of that sort of ironic indie stuff that we, we have to contend with nowadays. 
and it is just a a sort of heart on its sleeve trash fun horror and while a couple of bits are you know maybe haven't aged as well for the most part it's certainly his you know Henelotta's most restrained picture yeah i i actually think there's an element of sincerity about him kind of being appalled about how successful it was because i was lucky enough to interview him 10 years ago actually when it was first released on blu-ray in the uk and i remember him talking about watching it with an audience and how uncomfortable he was and they were laughing at the bits that he was hoping they'd laugh at but as each joke was sort of coming down the line he was worrying that they weren't going to laugh at it basically like oh they're not going to laugh at the next one not going to laugh at the next one and he got to the end of the 90 minutes and was kind of surprised that they were so into it but predicted that the next week's audience wouldn't like it and I kind of, I see a lot of the experience of making a first film and watching it with an audience and feeling very vulnerable and feeling very self-conscious. Like, you know, obviously I'm very proud of Frankenstein's Creature, but when I first watched it with an audience at the premiere at Fright Fest, there was a good chunk where I was like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I think that's a, that's a universal experience of someone putting their art out there yeah. because you're opening up a huge portion of yourself to people. But I would say that that goes against the idea that he didn't care about what about the film. Oh, you know, I, when I, he tells mm. that story about not thinking anyone saw it would see it, it's it's always couched in a we just rattled this off because I wanted to have a first film done. Like you know, here was a guy offering me money to make my first feature. And I came up with an idea on the spot, and this is it. And I and it was fine. I didn't have to put too much effort into it because no one was going to see it. That's... But I think he did put effort into it. I think he cared about it a great deal. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I, I think we're coming at the response from slightly different angles because I think it's kind of hard to separate the making of something with the experience of showing it. And I think yeah. I think that kind of that attitude where oh I I thought no one would see it. I mean, I wonder if he was making the film to make the film, if that makes sense, to get his first film done, as you say, because he had that yeah. opportunity. And maybe he did think that, well, this will be a practice run. I'll use this money to make this film that I've just kind of rattled off on hot dog napkins that, you know, was inspired by the fact no one's called a film basket case before. And I'll make it in a provocative way because that's kind of what he'd done before with the short film that's also on this disc. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, yeah I wonder if... There's kind of a middle ground, not necessarily that he didn't think that anyone would see it, but that he didn't think that it would have the notoriety that it has, that it would have survived this long. And, the you know, yeah. Yeah, and, and that it would have played, because it played at midnight theatres for a very long time, you know, because it's this like, it, it hit the New York grindhouse scene at the perfect moment. You know, it was this New York grindhouse movie that just played in those theatres on 42nd Street just over and over again. So I wonder if there's a, a an element of truth in there where he just made this film to make a film and it becomes his definitive work that his career is kind of spun off from, you know. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, he, it's certainly something that comes up a lot on this disc. We should probably talk about those extras a little bit because, yeah, they're kind of amazing. <laughs> like... Not what you'd expect in, in several different places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I think that's one of the things to, to really focus on, and Sam alluded to it earlier. Sam, you alluded to it earlier. Mm. 
it's such an incredibly definitive disc. Yeah. It's so, so thorough. Um, the, the fact that it is an American-only release for Arrow should underline how impressive this is. I mean, not just that Sam's obviously now in America, but it's worth having a multi-region player for. Like, if you want a copy of Basket Case, this is the copy to get. They've yeah. pulled together, you know, extras from previous releases. There's new stuff on there as well. It's incredibly exhaustive. There's a, there's a feature-length documentary mm. on the trilogy of films. And, to some extent, a, another... Uh, entry into the trilogy of films yeah yeah there's um (laughs) there's uh, a short film sequel to basket case three called basket case three and a half which basically imagines Dwayne bradley as a real person being interviewed a real person who looks like all of the original top gear presenters combined um (laughs) (laughs) it's it's fun and very very silly it's very throwaway don't don't come into it thinking that oh wow you know a uh, short film sequel Finally. to Basket Case 3. But I guess, again, like, Henan Lotta, Basket Case 3, I think, is his least favourite of the of the series, of the trilogy. And so to have this opportunity to take some of the taste out of, out of the mouth, even in the most silliest, most ridiculous way possible. Yeah, I guess that would have appealed to him. I feel like uh, Basket Case 3.5 promises me things it doesn't deliver, but it does mean that I now need to see that realised with a, a little bit more money. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that would be... Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, there's another slightly weird extra on here. There's kind of this subversion of Talking Head interview extras where Henning Lotter interviews himself if himself was a naked ginger guy. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like an interview inversion. Like, it is a way to do this kind of thing with a modicum of originality and there is some interesting stuff that gets put across it feels kind of like a trauma extra i was about to say it's like the whole thing has a a lightly trauma vibe to it yeah yeah like it's it's a little darker i'd Mm -hmm. say than most of the trauma stuff Mm -hmm. like it's not as outrageously like funny even the more violent early stuff and i'm talking exclusively about the stuff that trauma made yeah the things that they've they've bought and licensed which obviously a a much wider net yeah but it does feel like it, it wouldn't be too too far away from being at home among some of the early lloyd kaufman efforts Definitely. And certainly, as you say, like you could have seen them distributing this if they'd have gotten their hands on it because, yeah, it totally, totally fits. You mentioned the documentary covers all three films, as you say. There's some wonderful interviews on there. Very definitive. Also commentaries. There's an archival one. I love the new commentary, which features Henenlotter and Kevin Van Henterick. Henenlotter does much of the talking, but it is full of facts. There's some crossover between the commentary and, and the documentary inevitably but there's uh, and a... some uh, contradictions as well. yes yeah yeah it's probably best not to try and line up some of the facts here but yeah print the legend as always the the commentary talks about the significance of a short film called slash of the knife and you can watch it on this disc that is one of the wonderful things about this disc is that you know whatever you feel like watching or listening to it is on here and yeah dan what did you think of uh, slash of the knife uh, <laughs> it it felt a little mad libsy in places yeah like it would just just change direction completely it's fun like there's some stupid stuff in it it's trying really hard to be offensive mm-hmm. <laughs> and it definitely gets very uh very tromery towards the end towards the very end yeah with that last bit in color but but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see where the stuff comes together. I quite like the badly superimposed 
like four frames a second stop motion that mm. I suspect had a lot to do himself for that. Like again, it's got a certain charm to it. Weirdly, my favourite bit is the text and voice at the beginning. <laughs> before the film starts which has a sort of almost Russ Meyer feel to it Mm-mm. but yeah it's it's fun and it's certainly important for completists yes and and who knew that basket case was uh, toned down that's not something that I would have expected but yeah in terms <laughs> of his previous stuff it's definitely uh, less less offensive but there's also there's a commentary for the short film there's outtakes like even that has extras so just huge huge recommendation and yeah speaking of stop motion stuff I pulled a little bit from the interview that I did with Henning Lotter because I thought you might be interested in what he had to say about the effects Dan so yeah he basically said I didn't know what I was doing there's often times when you don't know what you're doing when you either get creative or you're in a kind of mental bliss where you don't realize just what the odds are against you we had two Belials one was a very rigid puppet but I realized I could do stop motion with it very bad stop motion but I could still do it The other was more of a hand puppet. I painted a glove red that looked like a tongue and I treated him like a hand puppet. So there were scenes in the film when he's in the hotel room and I'm actually stuffed inside the dresser drawer, which was hollow, sticking my hand up with a red glove on it. I had the puppet sticking up out of the basket, making it work, looking through a crack in the dresser drawers and a mirror across the way so I could see which way I was pointing and what I was doing. That's about as homegrown crude as it gets. And I also did the awful stop motion animation and that was just terrible. (laughs) So, yeah. So, yeah, he's certainly honest about his contributions to the film. He does talk down the film quite a lot in interviews and on this disc. But I, I do think it's a work to be proud of. And I'm glad that the Museum of Modern Art agrees and, and the Arrow agrees because not only is yeah. this a disc that they put a, a great deal of effort into, this is one that I believe our producer Lou has highlighted as um, one of her favourite releases that Arrow's done. And it's certainly a release to be proud of. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, there's some good stop motion on the uh, on the extras as well. Did you watch Belial's Dream? Oh, I did. Yeah. 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 I'm uh, I'm I'm working with Rob right now. Oh, nice. I'm, in this, I'm at work tomorrow for him. Uh, Robert Morgan, who's an amazing British stop motion artist, uh, and he's probably best known for The Cat with Hands and Bobby Yeah, both of mm. which I recommend to people regularly. Both of which are on YouTube if you want to check them out, or his Vimeo, I think, as well has them. But he's done other extras for for arrow before he did uh, an animated uh short on the shram disc as well i really really like his his mood and i'm i'm incredibly excited to be working with him on his uh on his first feature making practical makeup effects and then also some stop motion puppets for him awesome excellent dan recommendations what would you recommend based on basket case so i've got Two movies and a TV series. Do you want me to jettison one of the movies in favour of the TV series? I'm not dropping the TV series. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, then I guess I guess that's the only option because normally I would ask to jettison the TV series, as you well know, but... Uh... Let's let's hear it. What what's the TV series? The TV series is the recent HBO comic book adaptation, uh, Peacemaker from James Gunn, which brings this sort of trauma connection full circle. But there is a Hen and Lotta direct Hen and Lotta connection as well. Hen and Lotta used to have a video store, and the now sadly closed Hen and Lotta's video store is the head of operations for the ragtag bunch of misfit sort of superheroes in. Uh, the TV series. It's uh, it's on HBO Max in the States. Uh, it's yet to get a UK release, an official UK release. It is, uh, I think it's going to be coming to Sky now shortly. It's, I would say, James Gunn's best thing. He's 
he's found his his perfect stride. It's got all of that trauma schlock, but it's also like the polish doesn't feel out of place. The two worlds that he presents fit together really, really well. And for him to give that little love letter to Henenlotter in there makes it feel like these these two worlds really do these two films really do exist on opposite edges of the same world, and it's really nice. So uh, let me get this straight: you are recommending Peacemaker off the back of Basket Case because one hundred percent. There is a, a Henenlotter video no, shot. No, not 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 because there's a Henenlotter video. Although I feel that that is a nice additional fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. am representing it because I feel that these two projects exist mm-hmm. on opposite outer limits, city limits of mm. this of this type of filmmaking, of this sensibility, kind of tone. Um, and, yeah, and yeah, exactly. And Gunn is the only person who's ever really managed to make like blockbuster films at this of this kind. That's right. I think. Yeah, yeah, I'd, um, I'd agree with that. And while this is a TV series, not a movie, I've enjoyed a, a lot of Gunn's output. I think this is the one that works the best, whether it's the you know the length, the fact that it's episodic, whether it's freedom he's been given, mm. whether it's just maturity on his part as he's moved as an artist and started to you know hone his craft. But whatever the magic is, it absolutely hits, and it's a it's a great show. Uh, John Cena's really good in it. Like he's, I think it it steps him up a level as those, you know, when you see these people who aren't actors who move into acting, there's always that, how's this going to go for them, period. And I think that this kind of solidifies him to a level that he hadn't before. Okay. But it's still got, like, genuinely delightful, like, comedy violence, people exploding, hands going through heads. Like, it's it's got proper trauma gore in it. Cool. But with a Hollywood budget. Excellent. All right. Well, there we go. Peacemaker from 2022. I am going to be recommending first uh, a movie from 1982, which is the same year that Basket Case came out. And it was shot on the same streets. It's called Smithereens. It isn't a horror movie, so it's a slightly odd recommendation in a way because tonally it's quite different. It's a drama, but it's a a magnificent drama and it has a similar kind of outsider energy to Basket Case. It's out on Criterion, but it would equally be at home on Arrow. It would be kind of a nice double bill with Dinner in America because it's basically a punk rock romantic drama with a similar spiky feel following a young woman who's moved from New Jersey to New York to be part of the underground scene there. I really love this movie and, and it captures a place and a time, you know, you, you could literally expect a, a cameo from Dwayne. It really is that kind of representation of New York and how kind of grimy and fucked up it was in the 80s. Yeah, Smithereens, really, really, really great movie. I love it a lot. Big recommendation. Dan, what's next from you? Nice. Well, I I went for a massive. It's got a lot of advertising TV series that a lot of our listeners will probably have, you know, either started watching or would inevitably watch anyway for my first recommendation. So I figured I should uh, switch it up a little bit for my second recommendation. This is a very very small film shot by a group of friends over a long period of time. It cost absolutely nothing. The only caveat is it's still incredibly widely known, so I'm not exactly doing deep cuts <laughs> <laughs> this this time round. It's Peter Jackson's Bad Taste from oh, 1987. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This was on my long list at first, and the reason it got bumped up was there was a conversation happening in my studio about it, and one of my younger staff was talking about how they'd seen it and, and loved it at university, and it had been new to them, but a, a couple of the other staff hadn't seen it, 
and it it was like we've talked about this so many times sam but films that we take as you know for granted films we think everyone's seen there's always new people getting into film there's always people working through this ever increasing mountain of quality celluloid to work out what to watch and i think there's probably quite a lot of people out there who still haven't seen bad taste and it's absolutely fantastic it's got a lot of the same sort of make-do spirit. The director is in it. He plays two roles. He made a lot of the special effects himself. It is, I mentioned it earlier, but it's a young Peter Jackson. It's his first movie. And it's an absolute delight. I'm still holding out hope that Arrow's going to do a early works of Peter Jackson box set because there's oh, so imagine. much fun stuff in those early years yeah no that's a great recommendation i love bad taste and i love brain dead as well and yeah my next recommendation is brain damage because hen and lotter is such a kind of unique and singular filmmaker it's kind of impossible not to recommend one of his movies based on basket case and brain damage is my favorite um we covered it in our hundredth episode so i won't go into it in detail but if you still haven't seen Brain Damage, that's another definitive Arrow video release. It's a beautiful disc for an incredible movie. Yeah, Brain Damage, I recommend it. That's it for recommendations based on the film. How about recommendations based on the past couple of weeks, Dan? What have you been watching? Well, you you know this because I put this in, the, in our group chat with Mike mm-hmm. uh, a little while ago. It's another very, very shallow cut from me. <laughs> I was absolutely blown away by uh, Del Toro's Nightmare Alley. Yeah. Um, While I was watching it, I was thinking this might be his best English language film. By the end of the movie, I was pretty decided that it was his best film. And I have now cemented that opinion. I should say, for clarity, that I've not seen the original. I'd sort of forgotten. I think someone had mentioned it. I know of the original. It's on my list. But I hadn't put two and two together. And while watching it, it was never... I was never considering it as a remake. So I do wonder how much of that, the love that I have for it, is A, the fact that it's his first foray into this particular subgenre, and B, you know, just there from the original script as well. But it's absolutely masterful filmmaking. Uh, And once we can discuss it without spoilers being a problem, I I want to talk to you at length, Sam, about the like one of the last shots in the film i love that movie i i really really loved it um apparently there's a, a black and white cut it's another one of these like uh like the mist and and mad max fury road that was sort of semi meant to be in black and white apparently jackson had the rushes delivered to him in black and white they had a black and white monitor on set for when they were lighting it and it's been it's been screened i think once in the uk and a few times in the states in in black and white but so far i've i've found no sign of of no indication that it's going to get a a physical release in that form so if you saw it but you didn't know that then pester the distributors please for the uh for the black and white version because i asked them on twitter and they ignored me <laughs> well it's funny you should say that but, but before i get to that i'm gonna just very quickly give a a, a very early spoiler warning for our end of year special because i've got a feeling that nightmare alley is going to be in both of our top tens and so Uh, that conversation about the ending will take place in the end of year best of special so i'll see you in 10 months yeah exactly you know i think we're safe to say that we've given people enough warning for that um but yeah here's what i tweeted i i watched it on hbo max when it went up and I tweeted Nightmare Alley is on HBO Max but it should be on Criterion Channel absolute masterpiece easily Del Toro's greatest a gorgeous glorious throwback to cinema's golden age please in all caps release the black and white version on Blu-ray I'll buy two in case I lose one and then film of the year in all caps I 
completely agree with everything you say about this movie, Dan. I, I yeah. yeah. And and yeah, it's funny. As I was watching it, uh, I watched it with Shay and I was like, this feels, even though it's colour, it feels like it's lit for black and white. And so yeah. that's exactly what they did. I didn't know at that point that they had done a black and white version. And so... No, I didn't know when I was watching it. But you it. can tell, you can feel it. Like, you can feel... Because it's very, you know, it, it's not as simple as flipping the switch. Turning and, off the colour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to kind of plan and light for this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it, it's Although just it's fantastic. A, it, it, it could be argued to be that simple for us, Sam. Like we could <laughs> potentially desaturate it for ourselves. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, yeah. There you go. Problem not that solved. I, not that I want to take any of the heat off the distributors from releasing the black and white version, but I will definitely be buying the 4K yeah. in color when oh, it comes God. out. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait. And I will be probably <laughs> experimenting with turning off the color. What a fucking movie! What a movie! So good. Yeah. Just all the way through. There was. There was one moment that I like aesthetically that I wasn't super keen on, and right. it could it could arguably be said to be Del Toro the most Del Toro moment in the film. Right, right. It's a it's a prop. It's a right. prop that appears in the movie. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, and it I felt think it, I know what it, you're it felt about. incommensurate with the rest of the picture, mm. but it didn't do anything to damage it. Jen also pointed out that there was not era appropriate manicures on some of the women. Right, right, right. But good goddamn, you're nitpicking when those are your only <laughs> problems with the movie. It was. It's so beautiful, Sam. Mm, yeah, it really that, is. Uh, that office, that that sort of that office that they spend an amount of time in, that's a real building. Oh wow! Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh. Yeah, beautiful film. All right, well, we're going to go from the sublime to the ridiculous because my first recommendation, based on the past couple of weeks, is Beware Children at Play, which is yeah, absolute trash with terrible performances, awful cinematography, <laughs> yeah. like it's yeah. the the diametric opposite of Nightmare Alley because, like, this has shots that are out of focus, <laughs> let alone, like, badly <laughs> composed. Like, there's several shots where I felt like I'd been punched in the head watching this film. Just bizarre editing and, and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I, I must really underline that this is a bad film. However, it has one of the most insane endings I've ever seen. It is up there with Sleepaway Camp in terms of what the actual fuck am I watching. And it deserves to be as iconic as Sleepaway Camp on the kind of horror circuit. It is nuts. I received it as part of my Vinegar Syndrome subscription. It's one that I might not have actually have bought if, if it wasn't for the subscription throwing it in there. But I'm really glad I own it. It's basically a recommendation as a party movie. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, not not as a good movie. But Beware Children at Play. Out on Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome. There's some cool extras on there as well, for sure. There's some really nice new interviews. Yeah, fucking weird film. But um, what an ending. Dan, how do you and feel about Beware Children yeah, at Play? <laughs> Appropriately uh, for this episode, it, you, I first saw it as a trauma release. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. That, yeah, that Lloyd it's, picked up. That's it. Yeah, it's got the trauma intro it, on the disc. Yeah, yeah, and it has the and it has the trauma intro and the trauma stink. It is. <laughs> it, it feels very much like the that period in the late eighties through to the late nineties where they were picking up stuff that just couldn't find release anywhere else mm. and giving no minimum guarantee and just putting it out. But even with that. They were always like it was always very much the their type of thing, mm -hmm. like their kind of movies. So Troma really were doing 
two and a half kinds of films. There were the films that Lloyd made that were your sort of almost like Troma's version of prestige, uh, whether it's Newcomb High or Toxic Avenger or, you know, whatever. And then you had the, the weird, scuzzy, like local films that yeah. they were picking up for, the regional for nothing stuff. yeah 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 the regional stuff they're picking up for nothing and putting out and then the point five is when those films were occasionally genuinely great <laughs> yeah which is things like cannibal the musical yeah exactly i mean I, and you know in the modern day a little more flesh and a little more flesh too of course um which uh, oh, i always forget they're on trauma in both the States. available yeah, on trauma now yeah yeah this one like it, it actually when it starts like the early scenes i'm like this is actually good this is genuinely good. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, it, it it goes downhill very, very fast and, and smashes into a thousand pieces before uh, pulling all of those pieces together in, in one of the most glorious pieces of installation art. I mean, I could just watch the last five minutes of this film over and over again, which probably speaks to some sickness within me, but... <laughs> uh, I do very much recommend it. Yeah, you can even just watch the last five minutes out of context and, and still get the gist of what's going on. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> Beware Children at Play. It's fucking mad. I recommend it. Dan, what's next from you? A few episodes ago, I asked for farces. Yeah. I wanted people to recommend me farces. Either last episode or the episode before that, I mentioned that I had been slightly disappointed by Noises Off, but that I couldn't remember who had recommended it to me. And I felt bad about that. It was Christopher Halpin who recommended those to me, and he was saddened that I hadn't enjoyed Noises Off, which I feel bad about. But he came back swinging, uh, and he's recommended a couple more films. I watched 1966's Fortune Cookie, directed by Billy Wilder, with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matto in it. Oh, yes. Uh, and it's a delight. It's yeah. great. Yeah, that was a fantastic recommendation. Possibly a little light on the plot, but, but you know, it's a farce. What do you want? It's really good. Uh, Matt has on fine form as a cynical lawyer trying to wring as much money out of his brother-in-law's recent accident. And Jack Lemmon is fantastic as the sort of hapless, coerced brother-in-law who has a, has a, a, a minor injury that's being trumped up for financial gain. It's really, really funny. It's really, really fun. It's a really good, uh, really good farce. So yeah, um, I've, got, uh, I've got a couple more from his list to get through yet, but I really enjoyed that one thank you very much for that yeah it's a, a great great film i own that one on blu-ray yeah great recommendation that's a really really fun film and you can't go wrong with billy wilder and you can never go yeah. wrong with uh, walter Matthau as well what an actor my next recommendation from the past couple of weeks is a really cool really dark crime movie it's called god told me to uh, Dan, I assume you've seen God Told Me To. I feel like I have seen God Told Me To, mm -hmm. but uh, I can't remember anything about it. Well, it features a cop investigating a series of killings where the perpetrators all say the same thing when they're caught, which is God Told Me To. It's a Larry Cohen movie, so it goes to some weird, wild and wonderful places. Very unique cinematically, feels more like a lost Philip K. Dick novel than a traditional film. But yeah, it's just fucking amazing. From start to finish, the opening kind of set pieces features one of the best stunts I've ever seen. You'll know it when you see it. I literally have no idea how they got this stunt. It, it's someone falling off a tower, put it that way. But the way it's shot is just incredible. But yeah, the whole film is kind of like that. It's clearly kind of shot on the fly, which is a, a, another reason to kind of recommend it. Not off the back of Basket Case, but within the context of this episode. If you like Basket Case, you will love God Told Me To. Very weird, very unique, as I say. I massively, massively recommend it. I saw it on the Criterion channel 
uh, in the States. I don't think it's had a release in the UK yet on Blu-ray, but this is certainly one that I would beg Arrow to pick up because, like I say, it's just such a cool movie. God told me to, I recommend it. Extra features, extra features, extra features. Extra features. No extra features from me. And no, it's... there's one. There's one extra feature. From No, not from me. And, and... No, Sam. There, no, I, yeah, I, I spoke too early. I, was just saying, <laughs> I thought you were just saying there were no extra features. Because no. we didn't have a meeting because we don't. Well, I'm just going to throw in the extra film that I was going to recommend off the back of, off the back of Basket Case. Uh, and it's Stuart Gordon's Castle Freak, Sam. Ah, okay. I feel like. Uh, I feel like there's some similarities. Mm-hmm. There's um, societal distrust of the different. Uh, although in Castle Freak, it is perhaps a little less. Uh, the the character is a little less sympathetic. It's got some great uh, rubber monster suits in it, which I always like. And it's got a really cool bit with someone's thumb, which I love. It's also got some slightly questionable stuff when viewed through a modern lens. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. As always with your recommendations, Dan. <laughs> I'm, I'm only kidding. Or am I? I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 no, I mean, it's fine. Like, I, I constantly walk this very peculiar line yeah. where I object to a lot of the things I love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, cool recommendation. Yeah, I can certainly um, back that one up. And just Stuart Gordon in general. Just watch more Stuart Gordon films. I love him. Obviously, Reanimator is incredible. And uh, oh my goodness, yeah, anyway. Oh, now you're in America, can we do Reanimator? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. All right, now that's, we're doing uh, American only releases. I, I would love to do Reanimator. Let's do that. Let's do Reanimator. Yeah, yeah, as part of this wave. All right, watch Reanimator, Precious Arrowheads, because that's going to come up very soon. All right, well, that's the end of that. Shall we do our social media, Dan? Uh, would you like people to follow you on the internet? They should, yeah. They should definitely follow me exclusively on the internet. Okay. I am at 13fingerfx uh, on Twitter and Instagram. I've not been posting very much on either recently, but I w- when I do, it's golden. It's gold. You'll love it. Yeah, I kind of feel a similar way about Twitter. I'm at Sam Ashurst. I've just posted for the first time in a few weeks and it's something that's critical of the Batman, so I'm not going to get any likes. And in fact, I'm probably <laughs> going to lose a handful of followers as a result. But, um, Do you not have the Batman, sir? Yeah, I went to see it last night and uh, it is not good. There's stuff, oh, really? There's elements of it, obviously, that are good. Like, Paul Dano is amazing as the Riddler and... Robert Pattinson is a fantastic Batman in terms of how he looks. But in terms of the script, it's just... There's a moment where um, one character says to another, basically, you know, you're not as clever as I thought you were. And I feel like that is uh, the script writers kind of confessing something there because the script is not (laughs) as clever as it thinks it is. It is really fucking dumb. And for the first film to focus exclusively on Batman being a a detective, like the world's greatest detective, there's a moment where one character sarcastically calls Batman, oh, yeah, you're the world's greatest detective. And it's fully justified (laughs) because he's a dummy. (laughs) He's a dum-dum in this movie. Like, yeah, he can get a couple of puns right, but in terms of the big picture... It's the dumbest Batman I've ever seen. So um, that pissed me off. You know how I feel about um, intelligence, Dan. I I respect it and I adore it. And there's none of it in this (laughs) stupid film. So please, please, please don't leave a bad 
iTunes review as a result of me saying this. We all have our own opinions. And uh, if you love the Batman, I still love you. Like, the Batmobile is cool. Colin Farrell is amazing as the Penguin. Like, there is a lot of things to, to love in this movie. And, yeah, but it's just not for me overall, unfortunately. Uh, I'll be interested to see what you think of it, Dan. On a much smaller scale, I recently watched a detective thing that has me left me slightly baffled uh, as to some of the choices. There's a new, is it a, like a six-parter, eight-parter, something like that, TV series uh, written by Anthony Horowitz in the UK based mm-hmm. on a, his novel of the same name called Magpie Murders, mm. which is quite a nice conceit. A, a detective, like mystery writer, dies and the last chapter of his final book is missing. And so his publisher goes to find out where his missing chapter is. Uh, And as the series goes on, you see the book play out in parallel to Mm. the real-life events. And as she tries to solve one, but in sort of trying to figure out the ending of the book that she can't read as well, and the characters are played like cross both stories. So you Mm -hmm. have actors playing two parts and it's really good it's really fun it's quite gentle i mean it's it's more it's got more of that kind of midsummer murders vibe to Mm -hmm. it perhaps but then when the the end the last episode comes along and the motive of the murder is revealed because obviously that's a big part of it it's the fucking stupidest motive yeah this is the problem like it's just so it's un it's unsympathetic that's the problem is like i i'm like that wouldn't make anyone murder anyone and anyone who murdered someone because of that is a dum dum, and that make that takes me out of this. Yeah, yeah. I just I do slightly worry that modern movies rely more on kind of other movies and and video games and stuff. Not to disparage video games, Dan. I know you love video games, but um, love a video game. In terms of like as a structural influence, I think I preferred it when people read books as opposed to copied other people's films because the endings just aren't landing because they do require a level of um setup and payoff and uh yeah for me the batman's ending just did not land at all anyway i'll stop talking about the batman because there are people who won't have seen it so i, I really am not going go to, to details on that well i i hope that i didn't spoil anything for you there dan but no um, no no i think that was that was all nice and vague and i'll go in with my expectations suitably lowered and hopefully have a great time yeah exactly and, and please report back when you do watch it i'm gonna read out my tweet because i think i'm actually gonna delete it because it really really isn't taking off i think i've upset more people than i've <laughs> Uh, entertained um but the precious arrowheads that you know i can trust them to to be you know now we're getting to the real extra features here we go yeah so jackass forever and the batman are both sincere attempts to deliver exactly what their audiences want one features idiots doing very dumb things the other is jackass forever so yeah that's how i felt about the batman So if you want more gold like that to pop up and then be deleted, then please follow me at Sam Ashurst on Twitter or at Sam Ashurst 23 on Instagram, where you'll be in safer hands because that's where I put up uh, recommendations that don't quite make it onto this show of all the kind of weird VHS stuff that I watch in America. So yeah, Sam Ashurst 23 for that. That's don't it. Don't forget to to subscribe to the podcast and recommend it to all your friends so that they can listen to Sam read out his deleted tweets. <laughs> and please, <laughs> please write us uh, a five star reviews because that that helps people find the podcast and and all the rest of it. Um, and please don't give us one star reviews just because I didn't like the Batman. I don't like the Batman, but I do like you, precious Arrowhead. All right, thank you so much for listening, and we promise to be more professional next time.
Bye. Bye-bye.